Welcome back to the Kinsey Ag Podcast. I am Kyle here with Neil, and today we are going to be talking about Dr. William Albrecht, where it's been Neil's life's work, basically, to promote his programs. And as we begin today, it seems fitting to point out that you've been using that same soil analysis that you had been since basically starting, and... Very same that, one. Uh, You've been doing recommendations successfully this way for the past 50 years, and as the owner of Kinsey Ag Services, you give much of your credit to the company's success to Dr. William Albrecht. We touched last time on Dr. Albrecht, but we said that we were going to save it for another episode, so just start there. Who who was he to you? Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Albrecht. Uh, he was born in 1988 and died in 1974. Uh, he grew up on farms in north central Illinois and attended the University of Illinois. And a lot of people may not even realize, but he got four degrees from University of Illinois. First a liberal arts degree and started teaching. Then he went back and got a degree in uh, botany and agriculture science, biology and agriculture science. Then got another degree in botany and then eventually got his Ph.D. from University of Illinois after he started working at University of Missouri as a soil microbiologist. So he grew up on the farm. He understood about farming. Uh, he wanted to... Actually, he, he said in, in an interview uh, that he wanted to be uh, like the fellow he worked for. It was an old country doctor, and he cleaned up his office to make money to be able to go to school. <laughs> and he said, I wanted to be a doctor like him. That's Went to the university intending to be a doctor. But he said, when I started taking the courses in pre-med and so forth, I got interested in soil physiology and other parts of plant, plant, plant physiology and soil microbiology. And he said, it finally got to the point where I thought I could do more for human health through uh, working with soils and plants than I could being a medical doctor. So as a consequence, he started to work at, at University of Missouri, and he was actually hired there in 1916, as far as the records from University of Missouri says, but he got his doctorate in 1919 and really started working with the rhizobia bacteria on a, his doctoral thesis, which he worked out and finished up in 1918. And that was based on... Uh, alfalfa wasn't it it was actually based on legumes the mm. how to mm -hmm. get how to get the right uh, rhizobium bacteria in order to get the rhizo the the nodulation on each different legume and each one took a different uh, rhizobium bacteria and you had to educate people you couldn't use the one for alfalfa on clover and you couldn't use the one for clover on soybeans and so forth that each one had to have their own specific rhizobium uh, inoculant in order to do their best and soil type was determined that that helped with well, actually, inoculation? Actually, uh, uh, you know, if, if Dr. Albrecht were here to answer, he might say it a little bit differently. But from the way he explained it, and I understood from his explanation, the, he and the university felt like if they just taught the farmers that were growing legumes to put the proper rhizobium inoculant on their seed, then that would solve the problem with getting that to that that crop to grow properly, and so that's what they worked on doing. When they inoculated the seed, he said, "Well, we found out. Yes, in some places, well, it just mushroomed. Mm -hmm. In other places, uh, the didn't work at all. And then on some farms, parts of the pasture would." do fine or parts of an alfalfa field would do fine the other part wouldn't do well so it wasn't just the inoculant that was going to to make all the difference and he said so then we started to try to find out well what is the difference and the only way we need to do is start taking a look to see what was in the soil why did this soil work and why did that one not well let's take a look and see if we can take, see any differences in the soil and what he he said what we soon started to see is that when the soil was uh, in a, a particular shape, when it had a particular amount of each one of the nutrients, that's when it always did the best. 
if any one of those were out of whack, it didn't do as well, even though you put the inoculant on there. But he said the real surprising thing was, once we would start working to get the soils the way they should be, then maybe some farmer would go from take his alfalfa out and put the corn silage there for his dairy cows or whatever. And then all of a sudden the farmer said, well, this is, it's not just working for the legume. My corn silage is a lot better. And, and he said, we started to find out, look, if we get the right basic foundational nutrients in a soil, whatever you grow there is going to do better. So he said, that's what we started out to do. How can we find a test, a soil test that measures what the soil has, but also that tells us uh, by looking at it, what we need to do in order to get the soil that don't have it into shape to do that way. Mm -hmm. And this is where the big disagreements came because uh, the uh, all the knowledge up to then was uh, not necessarily, well, we have to look at micronutrients. We have to look at uh, different uh, amounts of calcium for different soils and mm -hmm. so forth. Yeah, and I do remember, so last time we touched on uh, how you first got acquainted with them was through your soybean farm, uh, your well, family farm, right? I'll, I want to get into some of the principles behind what his yeah. stuff is, but I just kind of reiterate on, uh, you know, how you got to know him. Uh, well, that is how I met him. I didn't have any idea who Dr. William Albrecht was. And uh, I just kept asking people. I was enrolled in the food industry logistics master's course in the Ag Economics Department at the University of Missouri, and I would meet different people involved with agriculture in terms of the agronomy and so forth, and I'd ask them the same question. Why did we, uh, why could we take soils that had never been farmed, clear them out of old scrub timber and drain them, swampland, whatever it may be, we were in a lot of swampy areas, take that off, and it wasn't just us, it was anybody that would do this. In the first year, they'd make 50 bushel beans. Soil test said they didn't need anything, and everybody believed it because any place that was growing soybeans that, that had been growing them for a number of years, they weren't making 50, they were making 30. Well, the second year, that same soil would say it didn't need anything and make 40. Third year, it said it didn't need anything and make 30. From then on, it said it didn't need anything, and you made 30. Well, like one farmer said, I've been growing soybeans on five farms for 20 years. Worst yield I ever made is 28 bushel. Best yield I've ever made is 32. And on five different farms, averaging it all out, he said, basically, I make 30 bushel a year, and that's what one farmer after the other would tell you, as long as they could control the cockleburs and the foxtail. <laughs> but I asked that question, and, and nobody, everybody said, I don't know the answer, but one guy, a young fellow, said, I don't know that answer, but I better I don't know who you can talk to that does. You need to go see Dr. Albright. Well, I asked him, well, who is that? Well, he's in the soils department over in Mumford Hall. Well, Aggie comes in Mumford Hall, too. That's where, I, that's where my office was. So every day when I went to work, if I'd known who Dr. Albright, if I'd known who he was, uh, his office was on the first floor. My office was on the second floor. When I turned to the left to go up the steps if I'd turned to the right. There was his, there was his door to the office. <laughs> but uh, so I went to see what was necessary to be able to see him, and, and uh, he had someone there from the time he came in the office each morning until he had lunch. When he came back after lunch, he had somebody there till 5 o'clock. As long as he'd stay, there was somebody there. You didn't just walk in there and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. Because there were, he he uh, worked in the soil department from 1918 or 16, depending on which one you look at, until 1958, 59 official retirement, and then he was uh, he was a professor emeritus of soils. Well, 59 being professor emeritus, and I didn't get to know who he was until 1967. He was still well enough known that every every bit of time in his office, somebody was there to see him. You had to make an appointment two or three days ahead of time, and sometimes two or three weeks ahead of time. 
just to be able to get in and see him for 30 minutes. And he wasn't at all opposed to seeing people. It's just that there was, after 10 years, there were still that many people coming to get his advice or talk to him about what to do and so forth. Well, that's interesting to me because if there's so many people that were interested in seeing him, you would think that his program would be taking off, but pretty much everybody calls you the ambassador of the Albrecht system. And, but, uh, so it's just interesting to, to note that it's not very prominent uh, at this day right now. Well, I'll tell you what. I think if uh, Dr. Albrecht had been alive and could be here today and, and still do the things he was doing back then, then it would take off because what had to happen was people had to start seeing it work on the farm. Back then, so many of the experiments that they did to prove well, what we're doing is better than what Dr. Albrecht says. So many of those experiments, they really didn't make the proper comparison because they didn't, they didn't study what Dr. Albrecht was saying. They just said, well, you know, based on the soil test, we did. And the biggest error to me that people make in that was they made the assumption that, well, we can do the test here and do it on a certain soil test, and then we can use Dr. Albrecht's program to base it on that test as well. And what you find is, that does not work. You got to use the same program all the way through and then do it properly. Well, every time you get to a different soil test, the numbers change. And too many of the people who did those tests said, well, you know, we've got soils and they have magnesium a whole lot lower than Dr. Albrecht says, and we've got others that have magnesium a whole lot higher than Dr. Albrecht says, still makes just as good a yield. Well, uh, did you use the same test every time? Now, there are a lot of other reasons, but uh, what I would say is Dr. Albrecht was very well known, and in his heyday, in the time that he was really uh, well recognized, his methods were used by very prominent people. Only thing is, as fertilizer came along, Dr. Albrecht actually advocated using commercial fertilizers as a supplement to whatever we needed to do in terms of manure, compost, cover crops, uh, crop rotation, the things that they were using before. He said, he said we, use, we need to use these things and then use fertilizer as a supplement because what he found very quickly was, and Dr. Hans Yenny that was, a, was actually a graduate student under him and then went on to teach at UC Berkeley, and I've talked to Dr. Yenny myself, but uh, he, when what they found out was the soils, the, those soils that were in excellent shape so that the rhizobium bacteria would perform and the crop would do the best, what they found out was those same soils were the ones where the fertilizer did the best too. And if you had an, un, an infertile soil, you put that fertilizer on, it didn't make the same kind of difference that it did where you had the right nutrients there already. And so consequently, uh, what he looked at fertilizer was as a supplement to what agriculture was doing, but the fertilizer industry didn't want that to be the way it was. They wanted farmers to look at it. you can. And when I was in the seventh grade, our agriculture class was told by one of the visitors, "Not worth cleaning manure out of your barns anymore. Just give that away to somebody. If you can get somebody to come and take it and haul it off." It's a lot cheaper to buy fertilizer and put that on grow your crops. This is what I heard in the seventh grade, and this is what farmers were being told. It's not worth hauling the manure out of the barn. Only thing is, if you use the manure properly, just made the fertilizer work better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it, it's interesting because, you know, whenever we think, or what I would call, I guess, the traditional method is, you know, you say... MPK. Everybody always learned MPK. You know, that's what you got to put on nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and sometimes sulfur whenever I was going to school. But whenever we're looking at that and we are liming based on pH, you know, what what is pH though? That's just potential hydrogen. You know, that's the amount of hydrogen that's present in the soil that can be used for chemical reactions within that soil. It's good to have a medium range pH because with that you get the ability to 
have these chemical reactions whenever this these fertilizers start breaking down you have that hydrogen there to be able to create those uh you know neutralizing chemical compounds but uh you know that's what traditional looks for they're not looking for uh you know for this soil fertility really they're looking for uh for fertile ph basically and so uh let's talk a little bit about the albrecht method and the difference in that since we're talking or since we're on the subject of you know traditional fertilizers and being a supplement why what makes the albrecht system what makes the mpk a supplement for uh all right well the first thing dr albrecht would probably point out to anybody is uh he he pointed this out a number of times to me and he said you know we've gotten to the point where we say the soil is only there to hold the plant up it doesn't matter about the soil all we need to do is feed the plant and he said as long as we take that kind of an approach feed the plant forget about the soil he said it's never going to work it's just going to cause more and more problems more and more trouble growing the kind of yields we want and also more sick plants and all the things that result from that he said you have to feed the soil and let the soil feed the plant because we're not smart enough to figure out all the things a plant needs now i know people today think we're probably smarter than we were back then but i still see we're not smart enough to figure out what the plant needs it's sort of like a uh, one consultant and I were talking once, and he said, well, you know, it's, to me it's sort of like when you go in and you sit down at the dinner table, there's bowls of all the various things you're going to eat, and maybe you want a certain amount of potatoes, and maybe somebody else can't eat potatoes, or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. But he said, we all just take a certain amount to feed ourselves. We don't all eat the very same thing. But we're assuming that the crop, when you put that out there, well, it, all of them just needs the very same thing. And that's what's hurt us today. We have made too many assumptions that, oh, we don't need to worry about uh, getting the soil right and then let the plant choose from that what it needs. And to me, that's the big, that's the big key in terms of the Albrecht system, and that is put the nutrients in the soil and then let the plants choose how much of each one they need. Does everybody do a perfect job of getting everything just right? No, but it's a whole lot better if you know how to, something, a target to shoot for than it is if you just stand out there and say, I hope it works. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't sit there and tell each cell individually, okay, you get a little bit of this cheeseburger that I just <laughs> ate. <you know>? So <laughs> that's it, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and not only do we feed the soil but that soil allows us to feed the microbiology. It creates a home for the microbiology and the plant roots, correct? That's what the Albrecht system is basically known for now is kind of being this uh, proper structure, you know, and creating this proper pore space and this, this home for the biology, the plants, or basically the soil in general. Well, we try to help it be known that. When I say we, I'm talking about the people that have actually learned from Dr. Albrecht's work and so forth. But most of agriculture still absolutely does not realize Dr. Albrecht was hired at the University of Missouri as a soil microbiologist. Mm -hmm. And all of his efforts, it wasn't a matter, even though he was head of the soils department and he looked at the chemistry and the physics and so forth, all his goals were, how do we feed the soil? And that meaning, how do we feed the, all the biology from the microbes all the way up to the plant root? How do, we, how do we take care of that soil so it will take care of the plant so that can take care of us? And he even, he even uh, spoke about visiting a, a registered Hereford herd. I'm, I'm not sure if it registered, but it was a Hereford uh, farm there in Missouri. And the the fellow had had been uh, in the business for fifty years, and his cows were really sick. But he had grown, he had produced uh, stock and sold it to other farms and so forth over that time. And he said, when he went to the farm, the his, his cattle were not doing well at all. But he went to another farm that was relatively close by, and that farmer had actually gotten his cattle from the fellow who. Now his cattle weren't doing good, 
and he had some of the best stock in the state. Well, why was that? Is because he said because one of them came out and bothered to find out what is it that's needed in order to have the best pastures so that have better feed for the cows. And the other guy didn't bother to come back and find out all the things he needed to put on. Uh, fact is, one, I, I won't say a name because I don't have his permission. One guy we know very close was talking about uh, when he went home and told his grandfather he was working with the, the Albrecht system. His grandfather said, oh, Dr. Albrecht, who used to come out? And, and he had a, a registered, uh, I think it was an Angus herd uh, in central Missouri. But Dr. Albrecht would come out and work with him and tell him well, what the soil test indicated he needed to do. Now here, he's this is the grandfather telling his grandson. He said, and the next day, the county agent would come and say, oh, you don't need to do all that stuff. And he said, uh, and the grandson said, well, what did you do? He said, I always did what Dr. Albrecht said, and it always worked. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that was, that was, you know, back in the 30s or 40s, sometime back in there. But people were already saying, oh, it won't work. You don't have to do all that. That's too much trouble. Just feed it. You know, just put on what, what you need to get this grass to grow. It's cost too much. This is the main thing that we hear today. Well, you don't need to worry about the soil. It costs too much to straighten out the soil. No, it doesn't. If you, if you haven't done anything for years, you go out there and measure what's missing, and you say, well, I'm going to put it all back this year. You bet. How much money are you talking about? But on the other hand, if you say, okay, I'm going to take, the things that are most important, and I'll spend this whatever I need the most, that's what I'll spend my money on first. And then do you have a test that would tell you that? And yes, Dr. Albrecht test would tell you that and still does. So then you take your fertilizer budget, whatever makes the most difference, buy that first. What makes the next most different? Just go down the list till you pri prioritize that list. Go down the list until you run out of fertilizer money. At least you put the money where it needs. And so many pastures and so forth. If you start looking at nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, after a while, the phosphorus and potassium don't become the two limiting factors anymore. There are other things that are a lot more limiting. Sometimes if you don't have enough legumes, the nitrogen may be a limiting factor. But even, even today, University of Missouri tells uh, livestock growers, if you've got one-third nitrogen in your pastures, that's enough le one-third legumes in your pastures. That's enough uh, uh, legumes to supply all the nitrogen you need for your grass as well as for your legumes. So, you know, there are places where nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium may not be the most, well, there are quite a few where they definitely are not the most limiting. Yeah. Well, we focus more on mainly calcium, magnesium is our primary focus, I would say. Well, it, it, de it depends on, uh, you're right, if we're looking at the soil. But so many people say, well, you can't afford to f treat the soil. Now you can only treat the plant. Well, if you're going to look at growing a crop this year, there are a lot of soils that if you started looking at the lime first and say, well, we're going to straighten out the limestone, you might not make a profitable enough crop this year. So there really are times when nitrogen, and or phosphorus and or potassium and or sulfur could make more difference even than limestone. But there's a, a lot of times when the limestone would make the most difference. The key is calcium and magnesium, we need to, if you're looking to straighten out a soil, that is the place to begin. If you're looking to grow the crop this year, sometimes it is. Many times there are other things that will turn out to be more limiting than the calcium or magnesium, it's, it's calcium. If calcium and magnesium is not there in the right amounts, it's always going to be limiting the yield and the quality. So it isn't to say, but you know, maybe there's something else that's going to be more limiting in terms of what does a farmer get paid for? He gets paid for bulk, he gets paid for the tonnage he makes or whatever. They don't necessarily pay you that well for the quality in terms of most of what is grown in agriculture. Well, would you say that the Albrecht system would be harder to, it would be harder to convince a farmer that's renting ground rather than owning ground? How would, uh, uh, just because of that 
that budget budgetary restraint basically so how would you go approach you know how how would you convince somebody that's just renting to say oh well yeah okay this costs a lot but this makes a lot more sense well first of all that seems like a a a logical thing and yes uh, there are a lot of people that rent that's really hard to convince, but there's a lot of people that own their own land are just as hard to convince as the people who rent. So uh, it, that's a, but in terms of a renter, I, I had a client, one of the first ones that started with, and on his own land, he said, well, I'm going to use the program there, but I can't afford to, to do this on the land that I rent. So we first started off with just the farms he owned. After one year, he said, I got to put the, the rented land in, too. He said, if I just, I'll, I'll make more money back in one year than what I'm spending if, if it needs the same thing that I had to do on my own land. Now, it wasn't a matter that he did everything the first year, but he did what made the most difference the first year. Well, sure enough, when he came in and, and uh, analyzed the rented land, one, he said, he said he was concerned. He said, I don't have a long-term lease. I cash rent, and I might lose it next year. Well, after that first year, he said, even if I lose it next year, I'm still going to make more money. And he didn't figure he was going to lose it anyway if he made it do better. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you, it is harder, and especially if it's someone that comes in and just rents it for one year, and then they're gone. You know, they want to go with special specialty crop or something on there. And then they say, well, you know, we're only going to have it this one year. Well, now, I, I can't do this without soil test, but I've actually had places where a guy called me and he rented 160 acres right next to him. He said, I'm only going get, to get to keep it one year because the son says he wants to farm it next year. The father got tired of farming, and, but the son wanted it. So he said, I've only got it to one year. It's cash rent. And he said, I just can't, aff- can't afford I know what I had to do to my own farm. I can't afford to do all that. Well, the first thing we did was go in and look and see what he really needed. And just put that on. He, he, had a, he said, you know, this is the kind of yield I want to make. And this is the, here's the soil. We looked at the field. And we just had him put that on. And it wasn't a matter to put on to try to build anything. It was a matter to put on, what do we need to grow the crop? If you only got it one year, that's, that's a, 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 an approach you got to take. But if, you, if it's land that you own and you keep on doing that and doing that and doing that, eventually you're not, you're not, you're not achieving the top potential of the land you have. Yeah. I met uh, this one guy that said in his particular area, there's each year you get this farm for a year or two and then somebody else gets it the next year or two and then somebody else there's five different people that are farming the same area and then everybody just kind of switches so in something like that it would be hard to convince people that unless you see the the benefit from the Albrecht system it can show them on paper it's going to be hard to uh, convince the other four farmers that probably are you know very traditional or could be maybe they're wanting to do something but i think that's where that power of education comes in and trying to you as a grower uh understanding what you're doing and the proper way to do things and being able to teach it like we are trying to do or able to do you you said it exactly right and that is it it is a matter of educating i I personally have always felt it's not hard to teach somebody that they ought to pull a soil test. You can convince people to pull soil tests a whole lot easier than uh, some people might think. But the real question is, once they have their soil test, to get them to do what they need to do in order to straighten out those soils. And the only way you get that really to happen is by education. You have to educate those people, and if they don't take the time or if they don't let's say that it's a farm manager and he's working for somebody else well after he retires and so forth if he hasn't trained somebody else you got to start all over again if you get that opportunity but in so many cases you don't and if a person has done a good job for say 10 20 years and then the soils are in good shape, and somebody else comes along and say, "I don't, I don't need all that. I, these soils are in good shape. We don't need to worry about spending all that money. We're making good crops. Why should we worry? We'll just, uh, we'll just 
take the soil and do what we need to do, and we're making good yield. Why worry about taking all that time to learn all this stuff? I also think it's a good idea to point out that uh, education and understanding, it's one thing to say, oh, I know how to put fertilizer on a farm. Oh, I know how to do a soil test. It's another thing about understanding the real true basics of utilizing a program like Dr. Albrecht's program. Once you know the reasons why you're doing something, it's a lot easier to go ahead and say, well, I need to do that. And just as an example, when I started putting on training programs, because I, I, I realized the farmers, if they didn't know why they were doing this, they were just, well, tell me what to put on. Well, I don't want to just tell you what to put on. I want to tell you why you need to put it on. So if somebody else comes by and says, you don't need to do that, you'll know the good reason whether to do it or not. Well, at least how to try it out. But in terms of uh, education, well, when I first started out, I could say everything I wanted to say in 30 minutes. And then it took an hour, and then it took longer and longer. But what I really found out was I was doing three-day training programs and thought I'd never do anything longer than that until a good friend of mine uh, uh Dr. John Roberts one time said, well, Neil, you don't get done in three days? He said, how long do you think it'd take? And I said, you're up at 30 days now, I think. <laughs> well, in this case, it was a formal course that I said, well, I think it, I think it would take five days just to say it all the right, the right way. And he said, okay, let's do one. And he, he got to work and helped sponsor that. Well, those Five-day courses were called soil quality courses. It was looking at, this was in the 1990s. And actually it was 19, yeah, 1990s. Uh, some of them in the 1980s. But uh, the people that came to those soil quality courses, the five-day courses, wasn't very many people that would spend five days. But to this day, the people that came to those courses that are still active are the best clients we have they, because they learned what the principles were. One of those clients, who I could name his name, but I won't. You can spell of, it if you want to. Well, <laughs> I, I think I better not. I, have, I haven't asked him about this. But here we had started out on Monday, and it was Thursday at noon. We'd just come back from lunch, and he raised his hand and said, Neil, could I say something before you start? And... We let everybody comment and ask questions or whatever. He said, I don't want to ask a question. I want to make a comment. He said, my boss told me to come to this course. And he said, I came here intending to prove you are wrong. And he said, after three and a half days, I have to say, I believe you're right. Because he said, this, this is uh, the reasons that you're giving and so forth just gives so much support to what people are doing if they understand what they're going to you know, what's necessary to make things work. And he's still a client today. In fact, I have some of his soils that on my desk right at the moment hmm. to, uh, <laughs> to, to work out and send back. <laughs> so education really is the key. And the better I can get out of my head into somebody else's head what this program really is, that's when it works. Somebody that says, oh, I tried the Albrecht program and it didn't work. The question is, who's Albrecht program? Right. Was it Dr. Albrecht's Albrecht program or was it something? Well, I mean, you can, people can even ask the same thing. Yeah, about, about you. About me, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not Dr. Albrecht, no. And I imagine Dr. Albrecht would do a lot better job <laughs> than me. But, uh, <laughs> but he's not here, so I just do the best I can. Yeah, right. I think I could do a better job if he were here to learn some yeah, more right. from. <laughs> Speaking of results, uh, you know, there's, there's some talk around town that Albrecht was old science, and uh, you know, the way that I think about it is, well, gravity's pretty old, too, but it still works that we know of, and uh, I, I just want to see, how do you know, or what would be your rebuttal to that, how do you know that the program really works, even though it's quote-unquote old science, it still works, it, it's obvious out in the fields, so, you know, what are some of those uh, results that you see that prove that well the re results that i see that prove it i think would work real well for farmers but the results that i see that prove it if we want to talk about people that call it old science they're all gonna uh, they're always going to be able to say oh this is old science let's do randomized replicated tests and uh, see whether it works or not 
All right. If you do randomized replicated test with uh, a program that really is the Albrecht program, then you know whether it works or not. But if you do randomized replicated test with somebody who just says, well, this is the Albrecht program compared to ours, what is that? Ratios? No, Dr. Albrecht didn't talk about ratios. But the way I look at it is, what kind of results do you get in the field? We sell advice. We don't sell products. So to the point that I can give somebody good advice, then that's the only way I'm going to keep a client. Uh, as a consequence, what I want to do is I don't need to convince everybody what works. All I need to do is help the guy who's trying to get results find out, hey, for the results I need, it works. Uh, Dr. Albrecht himself mentioned about uh, lambs fed a mineral-rich hay uh, in treated, from treated soils made nearly three times as much gain in weight in a given time as other lambs from the same flock that was fed the same amount of hay from mineral-poor soils. Now, it's easy enough to go out and, you know, put, fertil put, put the fertility that's required on a portion of your hay and not put it on the other as long as you're willing to, to do some experiments and feed. Well, does this really make a difference? I had one, uh, actually three clients in an area, and they were all three growing alfalfa, and they were trying to grow it for quality. All of them were using potassium chloride on their alfalfa. Now, potassium, if you need potassium, you need potassium. And they needed potassium. They were putting potassium chloride on because they could buy it for a lower price. But I said, well, do you know how much difference potassium sulfate will make in the taste of that hay? No, they didn't. In each case, we just had them take their smallest alfalfa field and put potassium sulfate on one portion, potassium chloride on the rest. This all happened the same year. This was about early 1980s. All three of them were right in the Champaign, Illinois area. Well, uh, the uh, next year when I came back, because I was there pulling the test myself, next year when I came back, uh, the first guy was a dairyman. He said, well, I tried some potassium sulfate right out here, this field right out here by the barn. So I said, well, don't tell me where you put it. Let's just walk out there. And all I want to know is, is there anything on there that means you wouldn't take some of it and taste of it? And he said, nope. So we walked out and walked across and just reached down and we both picked a leaf of alfalfa and chewed it in her mouth. I already knew which one it was. Because if it's sweet, it's going to be the potassium sulfate side. If it's bitter, it's going to be the potassium chloride side. But the, whether it's the sulfur that makes it sweet or whether it's the chloride that makes it bitter, there's something that changes the taste. And you could just walk from one side to the other and taste that alfalfa and say, this is the chloride, this is the sulfate. Did it in all three of those places uh, all that same week. And this is the thing that you find out. Now, what, what happened? This guy was a dairyman, and he said, you know what? I took that hay and put it in the, and I put one from each side in. And he said, the dairy cow, they every bit of that hay from the potassium sulfate side before they'd even go over and touch the one from the potassium chloride side. I mean, if, if we can taste it, the cows can sure taste it. I think they do a better job of tasting than we do probably. You know, Anything that smells like sulfur, I don't think I'm going to put it in my mouth just willy-nilly. So, But maybe <laughs> well, there is something to that, though. Well, when you put potassium sulfate on, <laughs> what you grow doesn't smell like sulfur necessarily. But, uh, you know, some crops, they do have a more of a sulfur smell than others, I'm afraid, if they start to rot. Yeah. <laughs> There's another point I wanted to make in terms of uh, alfalfa and so forth uh, that was very encouraging to me right when I was first starting because when I went in to see Dr. Albrecht he didn't just he asked me what the problem was with the soybeans but before he answered he said Neil I'm familiar with where you live in southeast Missouri and the soil down there and he told me the work that he had done down here and research uh, uh, so forth and and he said uh, I want to ask you a little bit of your family history uh, 
And so he wanted to know about my father and my grandfather. Well, yeah, they both farmed in southeast Missouri. Well, what was your grandfather's major crop? And I said, well, his cash, major cash crop was alfalfa. And he shook his head yes, because basically down in here, that was the major cash crop uh, when I was real small back in the mid-40s and so forth. And uh, he said, uh, well, you know, what I'm going to tell you right now about the, your soybeans and the question, if your grandfather and your father had just understood what I'm going to tell you, alfalfa, alfalfa could still be their major cash crop. Well, my grandfather died when I was eight years old. And at that time, everybody was going alfalfa. There was at least one alfalfa mill in every one of the counties in the flat part of the country here in the Boot Hill of Missouri. At least one. Some of them had two. By the time I graduated from high school, which was 1961, there was only one alfalfa mill left. That's, that was 61. I didn't meet Dr. Albrecht till 68. Well, uh, he explained that to me and talked about alfalfa. Well, then came back down here. Now, nobody was raising alfalfa except that one place that had the alfalfa mill still going. Uh, I wasn't working with anybody, basically, raising alfalfa in this area. But one of the guys came to me one day, and he said, Neil, I was at breakfast this morning trying to explain your program to this fellow, and he said it wouldn't work, and, and you don't want him telling people your program won't work because uh, a lot of people look up to and respect him because of the way he farmed and so forth. He said, here's his phone number. You need to call him see if you can go and explain the program. So I called and made an appointment for 7.30 one morning, 7.30 to 8 o'clock. And uh, he uh, was really nice fella. I, I'm just, I'm just going to guess he's probably in his late 60s or so. I'm not sure about how, what his age was. I'm not very good guessing, uh, good guessing age, but he had gray hair anyway. And uh, so I explained the program to him, and at the end he said, well, Neil, that's not the way that was explained to me. He said, if anybody asks, I'll tell them your program works. He said, I agree, that'll work. Well, I said, uh, I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity, but I was sort of hoping that I might also have a chance to say, it. could I get a job helping samples on, take samples on your farms? Now, he had 12,000 acres. I wasn't hoping to get the job on the whole thing, but I'd like to have a little bit to show him what the Albrecht program were. Well, he looked at me and he said, he said well, I, I can understand that, but he said, I want to tell you something. The only person who takes soil samples on my farm is me. He said, I think it's that important. He said, I don't hire other people to come in. I oversee the whole thing. And I said, well, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you one other question. How is it you're still going alfalfa today? Now, I realize you got your own alfalfa mill, but other people had their own alfalfa mills, and they're not, by the time I was out of high school, they were out of business. And he said, well, Neil, I tell you, the same person that told you about soybean is the one who told me about alfalfa, Dr. William Albrecht. And he said, I've been following Dr. Albrecht's advice. And he said, do you know what that advice was? It was the same advice he gave you on the soybeans. Don't look at pH. Go in there and measure and be sure you keep the percentage of calcium up and the percentage of potassium up. And he said, that's what I've done, and that's why we're still able to raise alfalfa and make a profit at it. So there, Dr. Albrecht had said, if you do it, that, that alfalfa would still be the major cash crop. He wasn't just saying that. He actually knew somebody that was doing oh, it. Oh, wow. <laughs> hmm. So when we talk about the Albrecht system, though, and the Albrecht program, you know, we know that it works around here locally because that's, I mean, he came from the University of Missouri. It worked on your farm, Southern Illinois. You know, we, we hear a lot about, you know, this area, but can, do we have any way of knowing if it works all over? You know, how do we know that something that works here can work somewhere else? Well, that's a really good question and uh, something that even though maybe a lot of people don't ask, enough people have. I'm sure it came into the minds of a lot more people than anybody who's said it. 
But, you know, the thing that Dr. Albrecht uh, always emphasized is we need to get uh, a program that is such that you can take a look at a soil wherever and see, well, does it meet the right principles or not? And when I go to lecture in the Southern Hemisphere, I mean, it's not even the same hemisphere, let alone the same country. But what I say is, if we really use the true laws of science, which Dr. Albrecht always emphasized, farming is using biology, physics, and chemistry. And the biology is all the life in the soil and so forth. The physics is the air and the water that you need. And the chemistry is the nutrients that we need, not only nutrients that we need for the plant, but also the chemistry that we need to have the proper physical structure. And there are many people that will disagree with that today, but you can't find a soil that matches up what Dr. Albrecht would say is the ideal soil. That if you analyze that, it has the closest ability to having what we'd say is the ideal physical structure. When we have the ideal fertility, we have the ideal physical structure. I'm not going to say we have the ideal biology because I think it takes, how long does it take? I don't know. I will say this, clients that we've worked with for 10 and 20 years will tell you, I'm growing better crops, but I'm not having to put on a whole lot more fertilizer. Now, maybe some things you do, um, like the ones that will get away, like nitrogen, sulfur, and boron. But I've had clients say, you know, we, you haven't told us that we've got to put on any more fertilizer, but our yields keep getting better. Well, why do they get better? I really believe it's because once we get the chemistry and the physics straightened out, how long does it take for the biology to really keep on populating and so on and so forth until we've got the ideal biology in that soil? Uh, I, th I think it makes a difference for five years, 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe. Uh, you know, what I think of is, you know, biodiversity is very important. You know, if they're just putting, if people are just putting on MPK and just putting on the same fertilizer and they're doing one continuous crop, you know, like maybe continuous soybeans or whatnot, or continuous corn and not introducing some of the, you know, cover cropping or, trying to do crop rotations, uh, then you're only really activating or making active one portion of microbiology in the soil. If we actually give the soil what it needs, create, well, not the proper home for it first and foremost, you know, that that's the most important thing. And then we can benefit after building that proper home from these other practices and actually creating more activity and by, you know, getting more and more bi biology activated and excited by giving it more of a diverse environment and diverse compounds and, you know, exudates and things that come from different, from different crops. And so I think that it kind of works hand in hand coming from like an Albrecht way of thinking is, you know, first we got to build the home so that we can sustain the life that is in the soil and then we introduce all of these other elements that actually, and more fertilization in the correct quantities based on that crop that you're growing, which feed the microbiology, which in turn feed the plant. So, And in, in looking at that, that's what I try to express to people in the Southern Hemisphere, the Northern Hemisphere. Actually, farmers will say, well, you know, it may work on your soil, but my soil is different. Well, every farmer... If you stop and think about it, how many different farm, how many different, uh, even on one farm, how many different soils do you have on the same farm? Uh, they're not the same. You need something to give you a level playing field. And this is what I try to express to people in other states, other countries, other hemispheres. And that is the laws of science don't change as long as we know how to measure them. If we use the same measurements that we're using here to measure the fertility of their soils down there and then find the nutrients. Sulfur works. If you need sulfur, sulfur works the same in any country in the world. If you need lime, if you need nitrogen, if you need phosphorus, nobody worries about, well, hey, the nitrogen that I'm using uh, on this farm, maybe it wouldn't work if I lived in another country. They use the same kind of, you know, same materials and so forth. But what I'm saying is, as far as how do we know it's going to work, well, 
it you don't really know what's going to work until you go out there and do it because every soil has different needs. If you can see a difference, if you can just see a difference, whether it's a different color, whether the plants grow differently, whether it's a different slope, uh, whether it's a different amount of sand, silt, and clay, any difference you can see, generally, if, that's, if that is large enough to fertilize separately, then sample it separately. And if you look at it and say it's not big enough to mess with, then stay out of it. Don't put that in with some other sample. just going to mess it up because there's generally going to be something different about that soil that it needs that the others don't. Well, I think we've almost used up our allotted time for gabbing today. So uh, end on a few little comments. First, I would like to mention that if y'all ever get tired of hearing him speak and would like to read what he (laughs) says in these, then he's got his book, Hands-On Agronomy, that you can find through Acres or through uh, our website, whichever you want. But kind of goes into a lot of the introductory material that we've we've covered uh, and that we will continue to cover. And then if there's any questions that you all have, then obviously you can feel free to send us an email or find our contact information on the website or just call the office at 573-683-3880. Want to thank you for tuning in today and we hope that you enjoyed this episode and looking forward to the next one. Is there uh, is there anything in closing that you would like to to mention or? Well, I'd just like to say thanks to those of you that are listening, and uh, I I think it's great to go back and look at some of the history of how everything began. I I really enjoyed this. Thanks for the opportunity, Kyle. Yeah, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Uh, we hope to see you all around. Mm, hope to see you around the bend. <laughs> Ugh, I'm the worst at outros. Next episode, I'd like to cover why should we care about the soil, you know, and see what uh, see what kind of trouble we can get into with that topic. So, all right, have a good one. I hope to see you around the bend. This has been a Kinsey Ag podcast.